It's good to be in this place. Um, I'm just so thankful that you made the decision to come today. Uh, so you, the, battle's, the battle is partly won today, right? You got here. You got here. Now the next part is to say to God, I am so hungry for you, I can hardly stand it. I am so hungry for you, I need you, I want you, I desire you above everything else, right? Because you can get your body here, but unless our hearts get here, unless our hunger is here as well, then a lot of times we'll miss out on what God has to say to us, okay? Because God is speaking to us today in his word. So to help us, to help us declare that hunger, I would like for you to uh, repeat after me uh, kind of a rendition of the Lord's Prayer, okay? Uh, we've, we've used this before, but I think it's just so powerful. It's, kind of, it's very de- de- uh, uh, declarative, right? It kind of like, like, like states uh, our intention, our desire, our hunger. And so, uh, you know, and if you're not, you don't particularly care to repeat things, uh, I just, that's fine. I would encourage you, though, to break through that hesitancy because sometimes breaking through some of that can really help us learn some new language and train our hearts in some different ways. And so uh, would you just uh, pray this along with me or, or repeat after me this prayer, okay? And let, let's just make it our declaration that we're saying to God, we're hungry, we want you, and we, we just desire you, okay? So it goes like this. Let's just pray this together. I pray that the Father's glory will be revealed to the people where I live. I pray that God's reign, his kingdom reign and authority will be advanced where I live. I pray that God's will may be established in perfect obedience where I live. And I pray that the resources of God's kingdom will sustain our needs day by day. I pray for the Lord to be merciful to me and to us all in forgiveness and that we would generously extend that same forgiveness to others who have sinned against us. I pray that God's Spirit will keep my heart and my feet, my eyes and my ears from places of temptation. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would enable us to resist Satan and that the kingdom of darkness would be voided where I live. And Father, we are asking these things because it is your kingdom that that is being advanced. As you answer these prayers, and it is your power and your power only which will accomplish these things. And when you answer our prayers, you will bring glory to your name forever. Amen. Amen. I love, I love that prayer. I love to train my heart to pray the truth of the Lord's Prayer and just like declare it. Kind of like, like, kind of like pushing every other thing aside that advise for our attention and for our affections and say to God, this is what I want. Because what's so powerful about it is that 
in giving us the Lord's Prayer, Jesus told us what he wants for us. And when we are followers of Jesus, we are saying to Jesus, I want what you want, right? I want for me and for us and for your world, I want what you want. And in that, we find our hearts coming into greater alignment with the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what this has really been about over this these uh, four weeks, including today, of just speaking about this matter of learning how to live free, right? Uh, as I've put it before, living freely and fearlessly. I just believe that as we have more and more experience with Jesus, as we are passionate for him, that it produces a passion for him. As we begin to learn to live more freely, we also can live more fearlessly in the world that oftentimes is trying to shut down hope, right? Shut down good news. We often have found our voice for complaint or for argument or for negativity and hopelessness, but we're encouraged in the scriptures and by the teaching of Jesus and what he has done for us to find our voice for praise, to find our voice for to, to say the the yes, Lord, of surrender to him. So these are like powerful, powerful days. And these are truths that can be lived out freely and fearlessly. Amen? So the text for today uh, leads us to discover more about the truthful Jesus. So on the first Sunday, we talked about the liberating Jesus. Then we went to the restorative Jesus. We went to the relentless Jesus. And now today we're going to talk about the truthful Jesus. The text for today is a story that found itself into the writings of John, John's Gospel, chapter 8. You often will find in your Bibles kind of a little note around verses 1 through 11 that say this section is not in some of the earliest manuscripts of the New Testament. It kind of reminds me of what John says at the conclusion of his uh, Gospel account of Jesus where he says this, what I've told you is just only a a little representation of what Jesus taught and what he did. If all that Jesus taught and all that he did were written down, and he kind of says it perhaps in some hyperbole, but he says there would not be enough books in the world to contain all that Jesus brought to us. Isn't that an amazing statement? There would not be enough Like they didn't have books like we have, like bound up like this. It was scrolls, it was parchment written out. And he said, if I were to write down everything that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough to contain it, right? Because he is so voluminous. He's so so massive in what he has done and what he has said to us. And not only those words he has done and said, but the way, and you can just kind of follow John's teaching here a little bit, uh, picking up from Jesus, what Jesus said, what the Holy Spirit is reminding us of and what the Holy Spirit is teaching us about from what Jesus did and said, it just goes on and on and on. So I think this story of this woman and her, the drama surrounding this woman uh, is uh, very much, Likely one of those stories, you know, that just couldn't be repressed, (laughs) that found its way into the Gospel of John. And so it goes like this in chapter uh, 7, verse uh, 53. We can start there through chapter 8, verse 11. And we're just going to read this section first. 
And then they all went home. So it means that, you know, there was this, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles was happening. Uh, There was um, a big celebration. Many people had crowded into Jerusalem. And it says that after that day, many had gone home after hearing Jesus' teaching. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And so the Mount of Olives is, is, you know, a famous place where Jesus often hung out with his disciples. Sometimes he was there alone. You remember this was one of the, this was the place in the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed that last and final prayer before he was arrested. When it says, I prayed so intensely that, that his sweat kind of like he broke the capillaries in his forehead from the strain and, and, and blood flowed from his forehead as he prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cross, this cup of suffering from me but not my will, but your will. Just the ultimate surrender of his life. So it's here, the Mount of Olives, early on here in his ministry, where Jesus is now uh, present. No doubt he's praying. No no doubt like he's communing with God. He's probably with his disciples. They're probably sleeping out underneath, you know, the... Uh, the olive groves there and uh, out on the ground and, and just waiting the next day's activities. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple court. So probably he is appearing from what scholars say. He's appearing like in the court of the women. So there's the court, there's the inner most holy place. Uh, well, there's the Holy of Holies where the priests can only go in in the worship of God to atone for the people's sins once a year. And then... There's this, that, uh, that holy place where the sacrifice take place, and then there's the court of the men, then there's the court of the women, and then there's the court of the Gentiles or the non-Jews. And so Jesus is probably in this court of the women, and where all the people gathered around him and sat down, he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. Powerful story. It just, when I read this and allow my mind to really imaginatively move into what this situation must have been like, I just kind of shudder all over inside seeing what, what kind of thing was going on. 
when they bring in, you know, like the, the religious hardliners, the Bible scholars bring in this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her before Jesus and they stand her there. And you can only imagine what a shaming moment that was for this woman whose sin has now been made public. And she stands there accused by all these men in this place before this rabbi who is known now as someone who carries the authority of God or at least says that he does. When you really begin to unpack this and look at what is going on, you realize that that they're setting a trap for Jesus, obviously, because they wanted to find something to accuse him about. And so they really use this broken woman's life and her sinful situation not to show mercy, but in order to make her an object lesson which primarily could be used, they hoped, to entrap or ensnare Jesus and prove Jesus to be false. The battle lines are drawn. The fierceness of their attack against Jesus, they play dirty. They play dirty. In the name of religion, they play dirty. They have forgotten the words of their own Bible in which God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You know, when you're really upset, when you're really angry, when you really want to prove somebody wrong, a lot of times what you do is you forget some of the more fundamental truths of God's word. And that's what had happened with them. God had said clearly, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's a merciful God. They were taking a scripture, they were interpreting it in a way that Jesus no longer interpreted it. Now listen to this, this is very serious. Where's the man? If she's caught in the act of adultery, she's caught with somebody. Hello. Hello. This just reveals how underhanded how blinded the religious leaders are. And they bring her before Jesus. Jesus is willing to be ensnared in their trap in order to set this woman free from their trap. It's a powerful exchange. And so when Jesus is brought this woman, and, and, and when they ask him the question, He just simply kneels down. And it says he begins to write, you know, in the dirt. There's a lot of speculation about what he wrote. I don't even know that he wrote anything in particular. Maybe he's just doodling. Maybe he's writing something really significant. I I don't know. But I do know this, that in that moment of kneeling down and not responding, he he just lets everything settle down a little bit. He doesn't react. He doesn't like react to the woman. He doesn't react to them. He just almost is like saying, shh, <laughs> like peace. And as he's down on the ground, 
stoop down. They just keep asking the same question. And finally, he stands up. You can read it. And he stands up. He straightens up. And he says, let the one who is without sin throw the first rock at her. And then he stooped down again. I love the fact that Jesus wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't even, he, he just stooped down. And I, the picture I get is that, that Jesus not only was not willing for the woman to be shamed, but he didn't want to shame even the accusers for their individual sins. So he stoops down. Rather than standing up and saying, aha, uh-huh, see, you, you're walking away, aha, uh-huh, and you, and you, and you. None of that. He just stoops down. I think it just underscores for us that shame, shame is not God's way. Shame is not God's way. Could, would you, could you say that with me? Shame is not God's way. Like it's, it's not God's way toward you. And he doesn't encourage you to have that way toward others. It is not God's way. Shame is not God's way. And one by one, they begin to leave. It says, starting with the oldest. Starting with the oldest. You know why? Because the older ones, <laughs> I suspect, are aware of more sins. In their own life. Hello? All of us old guys? All of us older ones? We're first to leave. We're first to leave. And until there's only Jesus still stooped down with that woman standing there. And so he straightens up again a second time. He straightens up. And he says to her, where are they? Where are they? Is there no one left to condemn you? I just like, it's just like, an, it's just like an amazing picture. And I, to me, I'm thinking that probably the woman is saying, I've heard good things, perhaps about this Jesus. I don't know how much she had heard. It's likely she had heard some things about him. But she is like, okay, I escaped the condemnation from all these other guys. I am guilty. What will this one man left standing say to me? And he says, neither do I condemn you. It rocked her world. This all out, full on forgiveness. He doesn't now say, now that we have this time, how could you? Seriously? (laughs) What came over you? What have you done? None of that whatsoever. This forgiveness comes, this perfect forgiveness comes to her. I am just so thankful that the forgiveness of Jesus is for real people. For those whose sins are public, like the woman, and those whose sins are still private, like the many people who left. And here's why I'd like to encourage us about the forgiveness of Jesus whether your sins are public or whether they're private. Whether you've been caught in your sin or like many of us, you have just never been caught. The forgiveness of Jesus is real, is powerful, and it is liberating. Praise be to God, right? All the forgiven people said, thanks be to God, amen. So here we are. Here we have this like amazing picture. This amazing picture that, you know, that comes with uh, these men and this woman and this place. 
where the truth about us meets the truth about God, and that releases a powerful transformation. The truth, the truth, the liberating truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm I'm intrigued by the power of forgiving love. Evidently, it's a very powerful thing. Jesus says to this woman in verses 11 and 12, he finally, I mean, verses 10 and 11, he says to her, go home and into a different way of living. Go home. It says, he straightened up. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you. He declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Go home. Go home. What an amazing word, right? A woman caught in an act of adultery, which means going home. She was in adultery, not with her husband. Go home. He sends her home forgiven, restored, and into go into a different way of living. Go into a different way of living. This, this forgiveness is a powerful reality from Jesus. She would forever be connected to Jesus. A relationship of forgiveness and gratitude was to create in her an energy for obedience. Did you hear what I said? Her relationship of forgiveness and gratitude was to create an energy for obedience into a different way of life. We have a long, for a long time in good old America in our teaching of the gospel, have often separated forgiveness with transformation. We've often said, hey, you're forgiven, right? And then we hear sort of in that, okay, I'm forgiven, at least I'm like escaping all, all of that. I'm no longer condemned for that, but we just settle back into our own old way of life. But Jesus does not let that happen. Jesus never simply gives forgiveness. He always, with forgiveness, gives himself to us as the way of walking in freedom. I know that because of what he says in the next verse when he's teaching. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Man, that's just like amazing. I am the light of the world. I, I, because I am the light of the world, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. This is what is being said to that woman and to all of us. When you have been granted forgiveness for your sins, which is like an amazing gift, right? Where God no longer remembers your sins against you. No longer remembers your sins against you. When your name comes up, he doesn't say, oh yeah, that's the adulteress. Oh yeah, that's the adulterer. Oh yeah, that's, that's the... That's the greedy person. That's the, that's, that's the person who's, who's, who's a, a murderer. You know, That's the person who's just always angry. No, whenever your name comes up and you're a forgiven person, he remembers those sins against you. No more. Amen? And, and with that, he calls you also into no longer walking in darkness. I am this world's light. I am the light of the world. Right there is one of the great I am statements in which Jesus is identifying with the great I am, the great God liberator of Israel. He's claiming to be God. I am this world's light. 
and you don't need to walk in darkness anymore. Isn't that awesome? I was in a, uh, a study recently where we were going over those beautiful verses where it says that you, you know, you're a case study in what God does and your lives were broken and you were giving him trouble. And, uh, and anyway, God and Jesus Christ uh, brought you back to God. He forgave all of your sins. And now he sets you before him as blameless. And one translation says, and flawless before him. And this man, when he, this new believer, when he heard that you're now set before God flawless, he just broke down and wept. And he just said with utter unbelief, like, like I can hardly, he says, I'm flawless? <laughs> I, I'm flawless? Because all he could remember about his life is that he is profoundly flawed. But look at what Jesus does. Amen? He just like, he just reverses the curse. He, I, I love so much about how, how there's this, this reference uh, about the light in, in, in Psalm chapter 56, verse 13. For you, God, have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before you in the light of life. I may walk before you in the light of life. Uh, let me just, let me, so let's talk about how does she do that then? How does she continue? How, how will she continue her way, right? As, it's a good question for all of us. To set that up, here is another question. Is it really true that the truth will set you free? You've heard people say a lot, the truth will set you free. Hey, the truth will set you free. Well, yeah, but not exactly. Because that really is an incomplete sentence. There's more around that that needs to be paid attention to. Listen carefully. To the Jews who had believed, this is verse 31, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Did you get that? If you hold to my teachings. If you you hold, if you abide in my teachings, if you're at home with my teaching, if my word is at home in your heart, if you take my words and you work them into your life, and if you're paying attention to my words so it's transforming you, then guess what's going to happen? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There are a lot of people who know a lot about God, and a lot about the Bible, and a lot about the Jesus story, who are not free. Not, not free. Same old sins. Same patterns. Same, you know, same caving in to temptation. Same temptation. Just this whole issue, kind of, kind of, kind of working a deal with it so that we say, well, you know, this is kind of as good as it gets. Well, at least my sins are forgiven, which is a wonderful thing. But guess what? He never intends for you just to be forgiven. He also intends for you not to walk in darkness anymore. And this is his great provision. I love, so one of the ways that, and if you can find another way to hold the teachings close and to work them into your life, so that you are truly his disciples and you will know the truth, not here, not just here, not just in your head, but you will know, you will have experience with the truth transforming your life. If you can find some other way of doing it, just go ahead, just do it, because I don't care them. I don't care your method, but I want to offer it to you. One of the things we've been talking about lately are the four R's, which is a great way of holding to the truth, 
Like the four R's, remember them from last week. Repent, right? Rebuke, replace, and receive. Repent of sin. This is what this woman would have had to do. Jesus said, go and live a different life. Leave your life of sin. What would she have had to do when she left that place? She would have had to leave that place saying, wow, based on my forgiveness and my gratitude to this Jesus, I am going to do what he says. I'm going to leave my path of sin. I'm going to ch- I am going a different direction. That's her repentance. She would not have automatically moved into that except she agreed to what Jesus called her to, which is the repentance, right? So I'm going to turn. I'm going to go in the opposite direction, receiving his forgiveness. And then I'm going to rebuke the lies of the enemy. I'm going to rebuke the enemy and renounce his lies. Can you imagine? Perhaps in your group life study or in your personal study this week, you can consider what are some of the lies she would have had to overcome, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure whispered in her head all the time. You're, you adulteress, you adulteress, you adulteress, right? You don't deserve forgiveness. You don't, and perhaps you can discover other things. You can imagine her having to have struggled with in order to hold to the teaching because the enemy wants to rip the truth of Jesus Christ right out of your heart, right? But hold to the teaching. Hold to this. Hold to this, right? Even when you feel weak, <laughs> even when you're struggling, Even when there are naysayers around you, hold to that. Hold to this new creation in Christ Jesus. And then replace it with truth. We've always replaced the truth, uh, the lies with the truth. And hang on to what Jesus says about you. Holy, chosen, dearly loved, this is who I am. Right? And then then you'll know. You'll know when you set out in this way, you you know you're going to need to receive the Holy Spirit's power. You know you're going to have to say, this way we hold the teachings close to our hearts is that we know it's by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit encouraging us and urging us and drawing us to Christ and creating a brokenness and a yieldingness before him so that we're always wanting to say, yes, God, yes, yes, your word. I prefer your word. I want your word. I want your truth. Amen. If you hold my teachings, then you'll show yourselves to be my disciples and you will know the truth. There it is. And the truth will set you free. Amen? That's awesome. It's a powerful word from Jesus. And if the Son sets you free, see, it's not just the truth, but if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You know what Jesus wants to do? He wants to, like, he wants to sozo us, which means he wants to bring his salvation to us. He wants to heal us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to deliver us. He wants to restore us. Now, I want to ask you this morning, whoever you are in the story, we're all somebody in the story. Do you need forgiveness this morning? He's the one who forgives. Do you need deliverance? He's the one who delivers. Right? Do you need restoration? He's the one that restores. Amen. This Jesus, like he is so powerful. So as we sing, as we pray, we just want to give opportunity for you to do that. For for you to say, I'm I'm, I'm one. (laughs) Right? I need for what I know to drop here into my heart. I need to hunger him above everything else.
because I know that this great forgiver of my life is calling me now to walk in a way that changes everything for my future. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father, thank you. We prayed at the beginning. May the glory of the Father be revealed in this place. May the kingdom, God's kingly rule and reign, become real in this place. (laughs) May the will of God in all obedience be in this place. May Satan be defeated and may the lies of evil one be voided in this place. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Amen. Some will be here to pray for you. If you desire, prayer ministers and pastors, feel free to come and pray. Just let them know, like forgiveness, healing, deliverance, restoration, any area of your life. We'll be happy to pray for you. If you want to bypass us and just kneel at the front and just have a private time of prayer with God, do that in your seats. If you just want to say, God, I mean this, I need this, do that. But we're here to pray for you and to assist you. Amen. Jesus is in the house. Amen. Amen.